well met everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. So, This week, as you probably saw from the title already, I'm going to be talking about legacy board games. This may be something that some of my fellow nerds and geeks out there have heard of, but don't really necessarily know what exactly that means. A legacy board game is a board game where previous games leave behind a legacy that will affect all of your future games. So, for example, you may end up marking the board in some way, or you may end up destroying a card. The game may actually tell you to destroy the card and tear it up and throw it away. Depends on the game you're playing. And it's all going to depend on the choices that the players make throughout that game. There's a lot of examples of this that have come out recently. Um, My husband and I actually just recently picked up Pandemic Legacy, for example, And I know Geek and Sundry right now is doing a playthrough on Game the Game of Betrayal Legacy. So, which is the Betrayal House on the Hill game, but in a legacy format. And personally, it's something that I find very interesting and really kind of cool. Not only because you get to still play the game that you like to play, but on top of that, everything you've done before is going to have a lasting effect. So you get to very real time change the way the game is played which is not something that's really been done before too much in board games usually you know if you're looking at Yahtzee or Monopoly or something like that people may have some house rules they like to play with but overall every game is more or less played the same way the same rules the same win conditions the same loss conditions you don't have any character type changes really things like that With a legacy game, though, that's not true. Everything that you do in any game you play can 100% affect what's going to happen when you start your next game and therefore affect the outcome of the next game. Now, the two legacy games I am most familiar with, so the ones I'm going to be talking about the most today, are Pandemic, because I've actually played the Pandemic Legacy game, and also the Betrayal at House on the Hill game. I've played a lot of Betrayal at House on the Hill, And I haven't personally played the Legacy game, but I have watched a lot of run-throughs on it because I'm thinking of getting it. So those are the two I have the most information on, so they'll be the ones I mention the most. I am going to try really, 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 really hard not to give you guys any spoilers. Which, you know, is something I always try to do. Some things are harder than others. In this situation, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to really tell you necessarily all of the bits and pieces of the different things that can happen, but I'm just going to give you kind of like a really vague information. Uh, That way I can hopefully try to avoid ruining anything for you. Now, some of the things I'll say are like, especially with pandemic, because I literally just played it the other night. There are some rules and things that you read before you even start your first game. So I don't feel bad mentioning those because it's not a spoiler. This is a thing you're going to learn as soon as you open up the rule book to start playing the game. But things, especially with Betrayal on House on the Hill, the Betrayal Legacy game, some of the twists and turns and the different haunts that can happen and the different creatures you might be facing, that kind of thing is something that's more fun, I think, to learn as you're playing. 
So I don't want to give those away at all. So I'm definitely not going to be talking about some of those little different bits and pieces. Because uh, I want everyone to get a chance to discover it on their own if they start playing the game. So back to kind of what is a legacy game. I already touched on it, but in its most simple language, I think, a legacy game is a board game where the outcome of one game affects the outcome of the next because the first game you played will change the game at its fundamental levels. There will be new rules or new abilities or new things on the board that will then change how you play game two. And it continues on and on and on. Most of these games do have sort of an end point of some kind after however many games you've played. So for example, the Pandemic Legacy game is designed to be played over 12 months. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to actually take a year to play the game. The way they've designed it is that each month can be broken up into two games depending on whether you win or lose. So if you win your first game in the month of January, then that means you won in early January and you immediately start the next game a month later, quote unquote, a month of game time in February. So basically, game one counts as January, game two counts as February, game three counts as March, and so on and so forth until you hit December at the 12th game. The caveat is that if you lose, you get a second chance to win the first game. So the setup and everything is basically the same. There's no major things that stick around for that, and they make it a little easier sometimes depending on how the game sets up. But basically, you get a second chance to play the first game. And then if you still don't win, then you carry on to the next month. So there's little things in place to make it so that it's as if time is passing and the game is continuing and, you know, things are affecting each other in a timeline. Betrayal at House on the Hill Legacy does a very similar thing, except instead of different months, they have different generations of your family. So, and these are not the exact years because I don't remember what they are, but for example, you might start the first year, say you have five players and each of you picks a color and everything. You start off the game and let's just say that your first character is John Smith. So the way Betrayal Legacy works is that you choose a family name and a family crest, and then that family will continue to play through all the future games. And you can choose to play your descendants, basically, of the first character. So let's just say that in the first game of Betrayal Legacy, my character was named, uh, I don't know, Joanna Smith. Her name is Joanna Smith, and she's from the Smith family. And they have this family crest, and she goes to the house on the hill where this is all taking place for one reason or another and while she's there things happen she, maybe she dies maybe she lives and then the next game around one of her descendants is the one playing the game so that's basically how it goes in betrayal instead of having it be different months you're playing different generations of the same family or different members of the same family along a certain timeline Again, I don't know exactly what the years are, but, you know, maybe Joanna Smith gets to the house uh, in 
I don't know, January of 1623. And then after 1623, you know, whether she lives or dies or whatever, the next time around, it's, you know, 1680. So it's 60 years later, who's at the house, you know, that kind of thing. They, they jump by a certain random number and you are playing as another person in the family. So like maybe the second time around, I would play as her daughter, you know, her daughter, I don't know, Brianna Smith or something who is, you know, 18 and, you know, just venturing out and wants to look into what happened to her mother or wants to see, you know, what her mother, you know, why was my mother so crazy? What happened to her at this house? That kind of thing. So in both setups, you have a logistical and logical reason for how you carry on the timeline. Now in Pandemic, uh, for anyone who hasn't played Pandemic, sorry, I should back it up a little. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't played Pandemic, Pandemic is a board game where you play characters from the CDC and you have different roles that you play. You might be a researcher who is really good at researching so they can find the cures faster. You might play the medic who's really good at healing and therefore they can heal, quote unquote, the board much quicker. But what happens is essentially in Pandemic, it's the players versus the game. There are some expansions where that changes and one of the players is like a bioterrorist, but that's not what they do in the Legacy game. So you don't have to worry about it for the purposes of today. With Pandemic, what happens is everyone chooses their characters at the beginning you choose your colors or your characters and get yourselves positioned on the board. And then everyone gets a certain number of moves and you have certain actions you can take. You can do things like treat disease, which lets you remove cubes, which are the disease markers from different cities. And you're working with a map. So basically the premise of the game is that you are CDC workers trying to prevent the spread of disease around the world and trying to keep it contained and trying to cure people so that the diseases stop and don't become epidemics. Because if you get enough ep epidemics together, you get a pandemic. You see where the name comes from. So basically that's the premise of pandemic. For anyone who hasn't played Betrayal at House on the Hill before, it's also a cooperative game, but it has a big twist. So with pan pandemic everyone's always working together against the game but in betrayal at house on the hill what happens is at a certain point something occurs that triggers what is referred to as the haunt when the haunt is triggered different things can happen depending on which game play path ends up being followed and all of that's in the rules so you just have to do what it tells you but one of the things that can happen is that the player who started the haunt, so whoever caught, triggered it to happen, can become the traitor. Now, in this situation, a lot of times, though not always, sometimes they're possessed, sometimes they're affected by some sort of magical item, but no matter what happens, they then turn on the other players and start attacking them. Another thing that can happen is that the player who triggered it somehow releases a monster of some kind that you then have to fight or the house starts attacking the players things like that and in some situations the players are still working together to defeat the evil but in a lot of them one of the players is now helping the evil in some way and so you have to deal with you know getting rid of that player and the other three players or however many have a goal they're trying to meet that kind of thing 
So it's a cooperative game, but it has a twist of at some point it becomes a many versus one game in most cases. Most of the games I've played of Betrayal House on the Hill, someone ends up being a traitor. Occasionally it's the house that's trying to get you and it's everyone against the house. But I would say for me at least, nine times out of ten when I've played, it's been one player versus the other players because one player becomes the betrayer. So it is a fun game, especially if you're playing with friends who like board games that are more complicated and, you know, a lot of the newer type of board games and don't mind a little bit of competition, but also like working together. It's a great game for that. And the legacy game is essentially the same setup, except that instead of having it be just the one standalone game and then, you know, all the characters win or lose or whatever at the end, you keep playing with the same families. So there's callbacks. One of the things you can do in Betrayal that's really cool is for the legacy game, you can create heirlooms, which is something that does not exist in the regular game. These heirlooms are something that can be passed on from one generation to another. So what happens is you put a little sticker on it that marks it as an heirloom game item. It's your family's heirloom. And then if you are playing that same family and you draw that item, you get like a bonus to it when you use it. So it's not just the basic item. It's got a little extra because it's your family heirloom, which is a really cool idea. And it makes sense given the setup that Betrayal at House on the Hill already has, where you're in this big spooky house and people have gone to investigate it. And, you know, why are these people here? What brought them back? And, you know, it's like in horror movies when someone knows, oh, well, those kids, you know, this one was from my family. He was like my older cousin and he went to the house and he disappeared. And then you jump forward a generation and the younger cousin is like, oh, I want to go investigate and see what happened to my cousin. It, you know, it's that kind of thing. You wouldn't catch me doing that personally, but, you know, some people like the spookier type stuff. I don't have a problem with ghosts and monsters or anything. I don't like clowns, but... That's a whole other story. Um, note to everyone out there, if you are a parent, do not let your child watch killer clowns from outer space when they're like eight. It's, it's not a good plan. It, to be fair, I don't think my dad fully realized that it was like a horror type of space sci-fi show. I, I think he thought it was going to be really, really goofy. And to an adult, like having seen clips and bits of it as an adult, 100% he's right. It's ridiculous. It's a really bad 80s sci-fi movie. But as an eight-year-old child, creepy. Very creepy. I do not like clowns. Not phobic, but I don't like them. I, w I will not purposely put myself in a position where I have to deal with them. Let's put it that way. Anyway, so for Betrayal... It's got that really spooky vibe. And I mean, there's things you can do, obviously, to make it more fun, even if you want to. Like, you could be playing spooky Halloween sounds and music in the background because it's supposed to be this creepy old haunted house. You know, that kind of thing. It's up to you because, obviously, that depends on how you like to play your games. But at least from what I've seen of the Legacy games and what I've played for the Pandemic Legacy game, it's really fun that you get to affect what's going to happen to the future generations or in the future months of the game. So I'm going to take our little mid-roll break and then I'm going to come back and talk to you more about some of the things that actually occur in a legacy game. Like what do you do that actually changes the game for the next go-round? <laughs> 
Okay, everyone, so here we are at the mid-roll again, just like every week. No big surprises here. I want to talk about World Anvil because they are amazing. It's so easy to create content. It's so easy to put everything together and really flush out your world and create a map and create articles that link to each other. It's a fantastic tool for anyone who's trying to do some kind of world building, whether it's for your D&D game or for a book you're trying to write or anything like that. It's just phenomenal. It's worldanvil.com and I definitely recommend you check it out. They've got different levels. You can subscribe to it for free and try it out and then if you decide to add on more stuff later you can always do that you can upgrade at any point and it's just a really well done site and not to mention the fact that Demetrius and his wife Janet and the whole team over there secondhand samurai all of them are amazing so I definitely recommend you check it out the other thing I want to talk about is our amazing dice sponsor Die Hard Dice you can go to dieharddice.com and check out all of the gorgeous setups they have. They have all sorts of different colorways and their metal dice are amazing. They are, they're hefty. These are hefty dice and they're beautiful. They have these great Gothica and Mythica ones where the outside edges are metal and then they've done inlays over the numbers so that they're just really beautiful and almost gemstone-like. And one thing I really love too is that they made a lot of the corners rounded. So if you step on a D4, don't get me wrong, it still hurts, but you're not gonna stab your foot with the thing. Cause I've got some metal dice that don't have the rounded corners. And if I stepped on one of those, I'd probably impale myself. And so they're also safer and better for your furniture in addition to being absolutely gorgeous. They also have these really cool dice trays that are foldable. So they're felt lined and like leathery on the outside, but they snap together at the corners to form your dice tray. But because they're foldable, you can undo the snaps and they're thin and they'll fit into a binder and you can take them anywhere with you. So they're really mobile and easy to use and protect your table or keep your dice from rolling off and going everywhere because that's no fun either. Don't know about you, but I've never had a DM that was okay with pick taking the roll that fell on the floor. You had to re-roll. So having a tray so that doesn't happen, always a plus. If you go to dieharddice.com, you can check out all of their amazing products and you can use the coupon code geekthyself, all one word, geekthyself, to get 15% off your next order or 15% off your first order, whichever it happens to be. It is a one-time use code, so please keep that in mind, but it's definitely worth it, especially if you've got maybe some fun Valentine's Day gifts to get for that gamer in your life, you know, hint, hint. For anybody out there, not a bad plan. So dieharddice.com. And with that, let's get back to this week's topic. Okay, so I talked a little bit about what even is a legacy game, but now I'm going to tell you some of the stuff that you do in a legacy game that affects the future games. I'm not going to tell you the actual like storyline of it, especially in the case of Betrayal, because I don't want to ruin anything for someone who's going to go play these games. Now, if you're like me and don't mind spoilers because you're going to enjoy it anyway, then, you know, there's a ton of playthroughs online that you could look at for different legacy games. And I do want to be clear, there's a ton of other legacy games out there. The ones I've mentioned, Pandemic and Betrayal, the reason I'm mentioning those is because those are the ones that I personally am familiar with. But I know for a fact they have Risk Legacy, and they also have Legacy for a bunch of other board games. There's one called Charterstone that just came out not too long ago. My husband actually backed it on Kickstarter um, by Stonemeyer Games. And with that one, you play it all the way through, and when you get to the end, 
all of these things you've added as you played have basically turned the board game into a whole new game. So at the end, you have an actual repeatedly playable game that you can continue to own and you created it by playing through the previous games and changing things as you went which is a really cool idea the other games my understanding is you can play through again for a lot of them or you can buy um like a recharge deck of cards that you restart the game sort of situation but it depends on the game so if that's Something that you want out of your legacy game is that at the end you can still play it as an actual game, then I would definitely recommend you do your research before you buy one. I know for a fact Charterstone does that. I would have to double check. I think Pandemic does that as well, and same with Betrayal. It's just that, you know, things change slightly, but you still have access to everything, but I would have to verify. I should probably verify now, actually. Okay, so courtesy of editing, you don't know it, but I just went and double-checked online. So Betrayal Legacy, you can definitely continue to play after you've finished the Legacy game. It just plays like regular Betrayal at that point. Now, with the Pandemic Legacy game, I will say my understanding is that you could, in theory, continue playing the game, but there are downsides to it. One of those is the fact that as you go, you actually potentially destroy characters. So you could be left at the end of the game with only civilians. One of the things that's very different about a legacy game that I mentioned earlier briefly is sometimes they have you actually destroy a card. Now, what they mean by this is literally destroy it. You tear it up, you throw it away, you cut it up, you get rid of it. That's what they're telling you to do. You actually destroy a part of the game. Which, for any long-term gamer like myself, like it, it boggles the mind to think that you would destroy a piece of the game board. It doesn't make any sense. But it's what you do. Because that piece is no longer part of the game. It has passed, and you now have a new game in front of you. One of the other things they'll sometimes have you do is write on the cards or add stickers of some kind to your game board. The reason you're doing this is because these are now permanent additions to the game. For example, in Betrayal Legacy, whenever you take an heirloom for your family, you get to name it. So you might get, this isn't one I've seen, so I don't know if this is actually an item, but maybe you get some sort of um, candle. I don't know. I don't think that's a thing. But, you know, you get some sort of candle heirloom and you name it the Smith Family Candlestick or whatever it's going to be. And then anytime someone playing the Smith Family draws that because it's a Smith Family heirloom, they get a bonus when they use it. Things like that. Whereas in Pandemic, at least so far in Pandemic, the only thing my husband and I have had to write on is the character cards. One of the things they do that's kind of fun is instead of just having the cards for the different roles, so for example, some of the roles in Pandemic I already mentioned are things like the medic and the researcher. Well, normally your card just says medic or researcher, there's a picture of a character on it, and there's a description of what kind of abilities you have. In Pandemic Legacy, you get a little card that's almost like a folder, you can fold it in half, and you create a name for the character. So your character isn't just the researcher. She's Maria Valenzuela from Spain and she, or something like that. And she is researching in the lab. 
for example. That's just an example. And so that's very, very different. You don't usually write on cards. That doesn't make sense. And then another thing that they do in both games, I know, is you apply stickers to the board game or sometimes to pieces that you use in the board. So for example, in Pandemic, and again, this is something they tell you before you even start playing, so this is not a spoiler. One of the things they do is, so for anyone who's played Pandemic before, there are points where you have outbreaks in certain cities. And what these outbreaks do is spread the disease further, and they're they're bad. If you get enough outbreaks, you die and you lose the game. So one of the things they've done in the Pandemic Legacy is that if you have one of your city's outbreak, you put a little sticker on it to indicate basically that it's had one outbreak. And what that means is it raises the city's panic level, which makes sense. If you're in some sort of big city that's had a huge epidemic of some kind, some sort of big disease went through and killed a whole bunch of people or made a lot of people sick, then that city is going to be a little more sensitive to any kind of future epidemic. They're going to be more concerned because they've already seen one bad one go through. So basically, they're just a little bit panicked. They're a little concerned. And as they have more outbreaks, that city is going to become more and more and more upset. You might end up getting riots, and they can also become a fallen city, where basically civilization there is just effed. There's nothing everything's ruined. And so in those situations, it changes what you're able to do in those cities. And you can really get into a lot of trouble because those cities could be cities that you can't even go into to do anything because there's so much chaos, so much rioting, so much panic that you can't really effectively help anybody. And that makes it harder to win the game. So as you're going, you really have to pay attention to those things. Similarly, in Betrayal, I know there's things like um, dealing with different bits of the board. Again, I'm trying not to give you spoilers. There's different things that can happen in Betrayal. I've already mentioned that sometimes your character can die in Betrayal. And if that happens, then you do sometimes change the board accordingly. That's all I'm going to say because I don't want to reveal things that the game reveals later. But it's a thing. So those are some of ex the examples of things you might be asked to do. They'll also sometimes change the winning condition on you if you get to a certain point. So, you know, you, you get to point X and you have to read something and the something you have to read tells you, okay, disregard all of your previous information. This is your new mission. This is what you have to do. That kind of thing. So it's definitely very dynamic and very different from a regular board game where you just have the straight follow these rules, get to this end goal every single time. With a legacy game, every time you play, it's going to be a little bit different because whatever you did in the past has an effect on the future of the game. And that's something that I think is very, very interesting and very cool. Now, I will say, this is the sort of thing that's going to be hard to play unless it's A, a game that you really like, and B, you have a group of people who are willing to get together regularly to play it because if you get too far apart in games, you're probably going to forget some of the nuances of the new rules and make mistakes and things that you then have to go back and fix in some way. So that's important. Is keep, keep that in mind if you're deciding whether or not you want to play one of these legacy games. And now another fun thing is that there are a lot of them now. It started back with Risk Legacy was the first one from what I could find. 
And from there, a lot of other companies realize like, wait, this is a really good idea. This is a lot of fun. And a lot of our gamers play the same games over and over. Why not make it a little different for them every single time? So there's tons of them now. There's the Betrayal Legacy. There's the Risk Legacy. There's Pandemic Legacy that I just mentioned. And if you're interested in looking into a really big comprehensive list, then what I would recommend is go to BoardGameGeek.com. It's all one word, BoardGameGeek.com. And look up Legacy Games. BoardGameGeek.com is a really good website where they have comprehensive lists of different types of games and you can look up different genres and different themes and there's also ratings. So one of the things they'll do is rate a game. So it'll be rated up to, I believe it's a 10, although I've never seen a game hit 10. I've seen games that were high, like in the 9s or so, but never hit a 10. And basically what happens is people can go on and say, oh, I love this game. And they can give it stars and tell you why they liked it, why they didn't like it. You can also look for games that are beginner friendly. So if you are someone who's really interested in this idea, but you've never really played a board game outside of sort of the standard growing up as kids board games like Monopoly and Yahtzee and whatever, then starting with something that's known for being a little better for that transition phase is probably a good plan. Now, if you have a ton of friends that are really big gamers like me, like people who have entire walls of board games, then you could probably get away with a slightly more complicated one and just make sure that it's one your gamer friends have either played the base game before or are interested in learning the game because then you'll have someone readily available to give you a hand and help make sure everything's really straightforward. The other good thing too, most board games nowadays, especially some of the ones that are more popular, have rules that are relatively easy to follow. There's exceptions, but for the most part, the games have been streamlined because they've become so popular to the point where the directions, if you follow them, you should be able to play the game without too many problems. Now, Every once in a while, the wording on something is a little vague or you run into a weird situation where you're not 100% sure which one is the right answer. And in those situations, I've, I've got two suggestions. One is if you prefer to do it this way, you can hop online and see what people say in response to your question. Because chances are good that someone else somewhere out there has had the same issue pop up and has the same question that may already have been answered. The other thing you could do is just house rule it. You're playing a board game with your friends. If you hit a point where you're stuck and you don't really know which direction to go with the rules because it's a little too vague for you, just make a decision that makes sense to you and your friends and go with it. Now, I would caution you that you should check the rules thoroughly before doing that because you may just have accidentally missed the section that says, here's what you do in case of XYZ. But if you really can't find it, then just wing it. You know, have fun. The whole point of a board game is to have fun with your friends and play a game. So if you get stuck on that, I don't think it's something you should focus on. Don't worry about it as much. Just go have friends. Go have friends. Well, hopefully you have friends. Yes. Go have fun with your friends. I can talk English, I swear. All right. So (laughs) we're going to call that good for this week. I'll be back next week. So I will talk to you then. Please remember to check out all the other wonderful shows and productions that we have at nerdsmith.org. You can submit questions or topic suggestions to me on Twitter at amethyst underscore magic with a CK. Or you can email me at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. 
I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. Until then, don't forget to geek thyself. So you already love D&D, obviously, but you want to sharpen your skills as a DM or player, right? Enter Dear DM, a Dungeons & Dragons advice podcast where I sit down with your favorite dungeon masters and answer D&D questions asked by you. Natural 20 is nudist. Um... (laughs) A plucked kanku. Uh, Charisma, dump sack charisma. (laughs) Really? Great questions in the community today. Some really fun bits to to talk on and expand on. So Episodes release every other Tuesday and are available at nerdsmith.org or wherever you get your podcasts.